If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, uh, get to Exodus chapter 16. If you have your books, we're going to be in session 7. So that's session 7. And all the scripture that we're going to be in, session 7. Session 7. Session 7. We're going to be in session 7. Session. Session. Session 7. What? Register. Register. Hey, Ben, can you say register? Register? Hey, it's okay. So when I was in, when I was in high school, there was this girl who always said aluminum because she couldn't say aluminum. Aluminium? Simi- yeah, like simonin. Simonin is the same, same way. What? L- Mm. Here's the thing. English language is just jacked up. That's just, <laughs> yes. No, English is jacked up. Cereal? Cereal, yeah, yeah. So is everybody in Exodus 16? Everybody in Exodus 16, session 7? Session 7? Exodus 16? Let me pray. Let me pray, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for another day on this side of life. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to open your word, God, and that we can open your word freely. Lord, that we live in a community that um, we do not face the violent persecution that others in the world face. And so, God, we pray um, as we're reminded of the community we live in, we are reminded of the people who um, live in an area where uh, violence might be what comes around Christians often when it comes to sharing their faith in public. And so, God, we pray for them. We pray for uh, our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Um, God, I pray that we would learn from them, that we would learn from uh, their devotion, that we would learn from uh, their dedication to you, that we would learn from their boldness to the gospel. God, I pray that we would make our lives center around the gospel and around Christ and around these things and that the worries of this world and that the um, desires of this world would just be pushed away by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray as we enter into your word that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, we are going through a story. The Bible is a story. Um, And in the Bible, there is this big, big story taking place. And, and the way that you can sum this story up, you can kind of sum this story up into four parts. So you have creation. God created everything, and it was good, and it was perfect, and everything was kind of falling into the, the, the places that God designed it to fall into. Everything was in perfect harmony. The word um, actually used to describe creation in the beginning is a Hebrew word, shalom. And it is this, this beautiful peace and harmony uh, that we see in the first two pages of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then, so we have creation and then we have fall, right? And that's this, this um, extremely important part of the story where we see that God's creation rebels against their creator. God's creation turns against the creator. God's creation decides, rather than um, seeking God and following after God, that they're going to define good and evil for themselves. And they're going to seek uh, to define good and evil for themselves. And instead of mastering the creation, mastering the world, subduing the world, literally taking what God had given them in creation and making what he wanted them to out of it. They decided to define good and evil for themselves, and instead they began to use creation for their own purposes instead of God's. 
And we see that this, this brought things like murder into the world and brought things like shame into the world and brought things like suffering into the world. And so the fall is extremely important. But then we see Scripture move throughout the old, whole Old Testament to paint this picture of um, human sin and the reality of human sin and, and how we as people are, are broken and in desperate need to be rebuilt into the image of God that was broken at the fall. And so we have this story, this great story of the Bible. We have creation, we have fall, we have, we have, we have rescue. Jesus hits the scene. The entire Old Testament points to Christ. And it's telling this story, which is where we're at. We're in the Old Testament and this story pointing to Christ, reflecting on our need for God in the fall and pointing to the fulfillment of that need in Jesus. And the, the entire Old Testament does this. It points forward to Jesus. And Jesus hits the scene and he, and he offers um, and, and this beautiful message of the kingdom of God coming near and the kingdom of God moving across and conquering the world through God's people, which are the disciples, which are Christians. And so um, Jesus shares this good news. He heals the sick. He, he begins to do these supernatural things, which are physical evidence of God's redemption of what was broken at the fall. And so blindness is being healed and the dead are being raised and, and um, people who cannot walk and, and who are paralyzed are, are, are being told to stand up and walk. And Jesus is physically redeeming creation itself and, and how creation is broken. And more than that, he's, he's paving the way for the redemption of the human heart. That the hard hearts that were tainted and corrupted by sin can be made new. And Jesus died on the cross. He, a perfect man, dies on the cross, suffers a brutal death on our behalf, takes the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion on himself, so that we could go free, so that we could go free. And it's this beautiful story of rescue. And so Jesus pays the debt that we owed God because of our sin. And the resurrection of Jesus shows that that payment was enough, that that payment was accepted, that God, God saw fit to take the payment of the cross and his wrath was satisfied for sin, that, that God himself took the sacrifice of Jesus and said this is enough to atone for, to cover to forgive the sins of my people and rescue happens. And then the whole New Testament and the Old Testament are all pointing to the, the, uh, the restoration of all things, which is the fourth part of this story, that all things will be recreated, that, that, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that creation itself will be brought back into the harmony of the beginning in the Garden of Eden in the city, the new city of Jerusalem, which is what Revelation points to. It points to this beautiful picture of an eternity in harmony and in relationship with God, with his people, reigning and ruling on the earth as God reigns in heaven. So this is the story of the Bible. I just summed up the entire Bible for you. But the Bible also consists of these, these smaller stories, right? All of these smaller stories fit into this grand picture, this grand story of what's going on in Scripture, this creation, fall, rescue, restoration, right? And we're looking at the story of Moses, and one of the very interesting things is when you know and you see that overall picture of Scripture, you can see where these stories fit in. And it's very actually miraculous and incredible how these stories just fit in perfectly with this plot line that the Bible is laying out as a whole. And here's the deal. This story matters. And the reason why this story matters is because God takes this story and makes it our own. And so this isn't just the story of a God who is distant and far off. This is a story that has encountered you and it's encountered me. And God has called me to join this story and to take part in it. And because I'm able to take part in this story, I know that I'm not alone because God has not just called me, he's called you into it as well. 
And God hasn't just called you, but he's called the person sitting next to you in it, hopefully. I know not all of us in here are saved, but the reality is, the reality is, is that God has offered this beautiful story and, and, and called people to participate in it, to join him in it. And so when we, it, I know it's, it's, you know, we've been looking at the story of, of, of Moses and Exodus, and it can all seem kind of disconnected, right? Like, it, it, let's be honest, this is a story that happened, you know, over 3,000 years ago, you know, 2,500 2800, somewhere around there. It's, it's a long time. Over 2,000 years ago, this happened. 3,000 years ago, this happened. So it can, it, can, it can be very easy for us to disconnect ourselves from this story, right? To look at, to open up the book of Exodus and say, well, why does this matter? And it does matter. It matters greatly. Because what we're going to look at tonight is this incredible story of God actually raining bread down on his people to provide for them in the desert. That God actually satisfies them completely. He gives them everything that they need. Not too little, not too much, just enough. It's the supernatural provision of over a million people. A million people. God fed with this bread that he rained down from heaven and this quail that he provided supernaturally as well at night. So God provided quail at night and manna, bread, in the morning. And we're going to look at this today. But I want to ask you, we've been in Exodus for like two months. Where are we at in the story? What's, what's kind of happened so far? We're, we're in the wilderness. God is about to send bread from heaven. What's happened so far? I just kind of want to get you guys thinking about the, the overall story of what's going on in Exodus before we zoom in on this this picture of God's provision. So, so what's happened so far? Exodus 1 through 15, what's going on in there? Yeah, so the Israelites left Egypt. Okay, why were they in Egypt? It's a more difficult question. We talked about that week one. There was a famine... In the Middle East, where Egypt and where, where, where um, Israel, Canaan, which is the land that, uh, so you guys heard Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Have you heard those names? So Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Genesis follows the story of this family, Abraham's family, the Israelites. And we get all the way to Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons and one daughter. And one of those sons gets sold into slavery, right? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? You guys heard of Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt. Um, he goes to prison in Egypt, but eventually, um, through God giving him this power to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, he gets moved from being a prisoner to, like, second in command. So think, like, vice president of the United States. Like, from prison to second in command of the greatest world superpower of the known time. Joseph gets moved there, and there's a famine that hits the land, and Joseph's family comes down from the land of Canaan to live in Egypt. And they settle in Egypt over this seven-year famine so that they don't die because of they, they have lack of food. So Joseph provides for his family that sold him into slavery in Egypt. And then we start Egypt, and this, this family of roughly 78, 75, 72, something like that people multiplied into this great nation of people. It actually says, remember we talked about this in the first week, that God's people were fruitful and they multiplied, and that this was evidence of God's, God blessing them 
as his people that they continue to grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that people, 70 people got so big over 400 years that it was a million people that left. So we have 70 people that come down in Genesis. We have a million people that leave Egypt as God's people, God's nation of Israel. So they were in Egypt. Why did they need to leave Egypt? So that's why they were there in the first place. Why did they need to leave Egypt? Yeah, like raise your hand if you would love to be a slave. Right? Like nobody wants to be a slave. Um, They were tortured. They were were, um, ridiculed. They were uh, beaten. They they lived in horrible living conditions. And this is just kind of what's going on. So... They left Egypt. Some crazy things happened, right? We had the ten plagues that happened, which were just this crazy display of God's power um, over not only Egyptians' gods, but just over creation itself, that God was able to make these things happen like that. But then also, uh, as uh, they left, Pharaoh's army started chasing them. And then what happened? God split the Red Sea in two, and the the Egyptians uh, drowned in the Red Sea after God allowed his people safe passage through the Red Sea to the other side. And that's where we're at. So I want you to think about it. If you were a witness of all of those things, if you saw firsthand the ten plagues and God splitting an entire sea in two so you could walk, what would you think about God? Like if you witnessed those things firsthand. Like we read about them, but like what if you saw them? Yeah, like, holy cow. God, whoever you are, this is crazy. This is crazy being able to see these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, there's, there's, there's very few words that could actually describe what so, a, a person would be going through as you see these things. And it's, it's, it's right for us to assume. I know for me, like, as I read this, I thought to myself, like, well, dang, I would be super close with God if I saw all this. You know what I mean? Like, there wouldn't be any doubt in my mind that God was real or not. Like, I would know. <laughs> um, and, and then something very interesting happens right after this. Literally, right after they, 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 this happens, this amazing thing happens, they go three days without water. Three days without water. And then they begin to complain to Moses. And they complain to Moses, and one of the interesting things that they said was they didn't just complain to Moses, but they said, we should have stayed in Egypt. And so their current circumstances caused them to look on their past suffering and they changed the story. They forgot about all the suffering and how terrible Egypt was. And they, they painted themselves this fantasy that it would be better for them to suffer in Egypt than to, than to be wandering in the wilderness. And that's where we, we land today. So I want you to read. Um, somebody, could you read Exodus uh, 16, 1 through 3 out loud for us? Sweet. Perfect. If you want, it's in your session 7. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yep, just, uh, yeah, one through three.
Okay, so uh, what I'd love to see you guys do, so spend some time uh, in your groups. Look at those first three verses and then just try to just come up with some reasons why you think the Israelites complained in, in this situation. Why, why do you think they were complaining? What was going on? So reflect on those three verses. Um, wrestle with that question. And then we'll talk about it here in about five minutes. Yeah. But I also think like the worst thing, like when I, if I'm going through a hard time and even if I'm complaining about something, my least favorite thing for somebody to say to me is like, oh, well, at least it, it could be worse, you know. Like, don't say that to me, you jerk. <laughs> yeah, like you guys came here. You guys came here talking about all this hoopla, like God wants us out of Egypt. Now we're out of Egypt. We're thirsty. Like, and here's something very interesting that I, that I, I, I didn't actually notice it until just now when you were reading it. But it says, um, they grumbled against Moses. If we had only died by the Lord's hand. So literally, they, if only God had killed us in, Moses, in Egypt. If, if we had only died by the Lord's hand. When we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. So there's this, there's this, even though they were living in poverty, they painted this like fantasy, like we had plenty to eat. And the reality was is they, they didn't. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a... That's a good point, but yeah, it's just crazy. Like, we would rather have God, we would have rather had God kill us back in Egypt than be alive today thirsty. It's interesting. It's interesting. Right. Yeah. They thought that salvation maybe maybe was the same thing as never struggling with something again, right? That oh God saves us, so we're never gonna we're never gonna struggle with anything again. We're never gonna suffer. Um and that's so um how do you think yeah, so we kinda talked about this a little bit. So how did focusing on their current situation, whatever they're going through currently, change their perspective of what had happened to them? In Egypt. How did their focus on now change how they saw yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. I think it can be really tempting to, like, look at this and be like, you guys are ridiculous. Like... (laughs) Seriously, you, all this stuff happened, now you're complaining about missing being slaves. Like, seriously, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. What were you going to say?
Yeah. Yeah, and in a crazy thing, in, in the midst of all this, they're being led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. Like, I have no idea what that looks like, but it sounds incredible. And yet, even looking at that, they're complaining. And so, it's this sweet reminder for me that even, because what this is doing is this is reflecting reflecting and showing a reflection of our own hearts. Think about it. Think about the things you complain about. Think about the things you complain about and how it causes you to change the narrative of your past, like they did, to change the story of your past, to change, oh, well, this was the grass is greener over there. This is, it's so much better over here because I'm, I'm complaining about my now. We do this all the time. And it might be in, in, in smaller ways, but this is a, a very, very, very honest reflection of our own hearts when we are in the midst of complaining, uh, when we're in need of something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this passage definitely shows us that being hangry is super spiritual. Like, it's not, it's not just this physical thing of, of, um, I'm hungry, so I'm going to be a jerk. No, no, no. There's something very, very, very significant going on in your heart causing you to, to respond to your hanger in these ways. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, so let's keep going. Let's read Exodus 16, 4 through 7. Um, and then you guys can read those, that in your groups. And then um, just kind of talk about this. So how is God's response? So we see the Israelites complain. And then in 4 through 7, we see God respond to their complaining. How is his response to their complaining different from how you would respond to their complaining? So if they complain to you, how would, how would you respond differently than how God did? All right. So how, how, how would you have responded differently from God? Or what was the difference between God's response and how we would be prone to respond in that situation? Yeah, and like even if we would have, you know, like helped them out or given them food, right? Like we would, they would have heard a lecture from me first before I gave them food. Like you're going to hear everything that you did wrong in this moment, and then I'm going to help you out. But you need to hear it first. And, and God just says, there's just this beautiful picture of his graciousness and his patience there. I love that. That's awesome. Did, did I see a hand back here? No? Yes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we absolutely need him. 
Here's the crazy thing. God does this all the time by providing people who hate him with breath. Every day. Like, think about that. God literally is so gracious that he provided you breath even though he woke up knowing that before your feet hit the floor, you were going to sin 30 times before you even got out of bed. And yet he still provides you breath. He still gives you life. He still meets your needs. It, the, the, the compassion of God is incredible. But not only that, he sent his son so that forgiveness would be offered for those things. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And, and in verse 35, it says, The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came and inhabited the land. So throughout the entire wilderness story, right, they, it takes them 40 years to get to the promised land from what we see here in Exodus, Exodus 16. 40 years. And every day for 40 years, that would happen, what you guys just read, for 40 years. And Jonah showed me something in his Bible that was really, really interesting. It says, the longest running miracle of all time. So, three million mouths to feed, roughly. 300 million, or three million mouths, okay? Multiplied by three meals a day, 365 days a year, for 40 years, is 131 billion 400 million meals. 131 billion, 400 million meals. That number is so big that if you started counting now, you wouldn't get there. You would die. Number's huge. Like, you wouldn't get there, like, you'd be very, very short of 131 billion, 400 million, anything. Imagine, 131 billion, 400 million meals. For 40 years. And this isn't the only time they complained. They complained consistently. Um, in fact, the whole narrative of them, the whole story of them in the wilderness is this, this picture of, of God extends grace and salvation and a way out. And the Israelites rebel and then God extends grace and salvation and the Israelites rebel. And that pattern actually continues throughout the entire Old Testament leads to consequences of, of them getting captured by a nation and taken away in captivity by the nation of Babylon later in the story of the Bible, all to bring them back to, the, to Jerusalem, to their home, to rebuild it, anticipating the coming of Jesus in, in, the, in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where they tell that story. All of this, like I said, all of this, it means something. It means something to us. It means something to our lives. But more than that, here's the deal. And I just want to encourage you with this, and we're, we'll, be, we'll be done. I was recently confronted with a truth um, that I believed for a very long time. And it's this. If I open up my Bible to read it in the morning, because that's just when I read my Bible. Maybe you read yours at night. Maybe you read yours in the morning. Maybe you read it at school. Hopefully you don't. I hope that you can give it more attention than that while you're walking through the hallways in school. Um, but whenever you open up this word to read it, if I did not have a practical way to change something about myself when I walked away from it, I thought I failed. I thought I failed. I thought that my time in the Bible was a failure if I didn't have some sort of way to change my behavior when I was done reading it. And the reality is, I want to encourage you with this. If you're like me and you, and, you, and you think that, that every time you open up the Bible, you need to, God needs to tell you that something in your life needs to change like a behavior, 
that is the biggest evidence that we are looking at this like one, one big great rule book. And like I talked about in the beginning tonight, this is not a rule book. This is a story. The only thing God calls us to do when we sit down and, and, and open this book is it demands a response. Sometimes that response is to change, right? Like sometimes that response is to change. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome thing come, from, come out of your mouth. I think that's pretty clear, right? Like, okay, if I'm a Christ follower, then God is working in me, giving me the power to speak in ways of life to people, that I can, I can speak in a way that gives grace to those who listen. I don't have to tear somebody down with my words. And God gives me the power to not tear somebody down with my words. But not only that, God changes my heart where I don't want to tear somebody down with my words. That's a, that's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's not, I need to stop cussing. It's much more than that. It's God is making me want to give grace to those I speak to. It's so much bigger than, than just quit cussing or quit saying this word. God demands so much more from us when we read Scripture than just do this, do this, do this, do this. It's a response. Sometimes that response is just to worship Him. Like I hear the number 136 billion, 400 million, and I'm like, wow. I can't even fathom how big of a number that is. There's 7 billion people in the world. So like multiply that by, I don't even know. 7 billion people in the world, 130 billion, 400 million meals. It's a huge amount, huge amount. Sometimes the response is worship. Sometimes the response is just to fill your mind with thoughts of God, meaning to, to just cause you to think about what you read throughout the rest of the day. Not necessarily like do something, but just to think about it, to let sit on your heart and on your mind for a while. And, 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 and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you to wrestle with whatever it is that you read. This word was created, written by God, to penetrate our hearts and change our lives. It's much more than just doing things. It's much more than just doing things. So that's my, my soapbox. I'm going to step off my soapbox now. Um, and I want to pray. But before I pray, I want you to flip to the end of session seven in your books. Um, there is a, uh, I don't know how, you, how would I call it, a uh, thing of questions. It'll say, uh, what now, is what it will say. Now what? I, I switched the words. So, now what? So what I would love for you to do, so there's now what, and then on the next page, there's this personal challenge, okay? And what I would love for you to do is maybe you have a friend in here. Maybe studying the Bible is hard for you to do on your own. I'm not going to challenge you to read the Bible every day this week. What I'm going to challenge you to do is to get through that personal challenge. I'm going to challenge you to do that. Um, there's, a, there's, I think, scripture memory in there. There's, there's some things that that will help you uh, think about what to pray for yourself and maybe for others this week. In the brown section at the bottom, there's some additional study things that you can do as you reflect on that passage. But even then... As you do the personal challenge, maybe go back through session seven and study Exodus 16 and answer and wrestle with some of those questions in there. And don't do it by yourself. You got like a friend in here, meet with them, get up together, go to Mika's. If you don't, you know, hit me up. I'll meet you at Mika's or wherever you're at. I'll come to your house, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll chop it up and, and break down the, the Bible and study it together. Like that's what this is about. So grab a friend, do it on your own. I don't care. Just, you should do that this week. And see what it does. Just see what it does. And, then, and 
here's the thing. Right at the top of it, if you have a pen, if you don't, um, I have one in my pocket. No, I don't have one in my pocket, but there's some over here. Um, and write down this question. How should I respond to this? How should I respond to this? While you're writing that, I'm going to pray. And then we are done for the night. Let's pray. God, Father, we are so grateful for you. God, we're grateful for stories like this in Scripture, real accounts of history. Lord, just the number 130 billion, 400 million is, is incredible. It's incredible to think that you provided consistently for the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. And, and, and God, I pray uh, for, for somebody in here who might be in their own wilderness, in their own dry season of life where they feel hungry and thirsty, and maybe their spiritual life is dry. They don't feel like they're, they're getting anywhere with you. They don't feel like they can, they're aware of what's going on in their lives as it relates to what you're doing and what you're up to and the greater picture of how you are uh, making us a part of this great story of redemption that we've talked about tonight. And so, God, I pray for that person, if they're in here, that you would breathe life into their time in the Word this week. That they would open up the Scriptures and that you would elicit a deep response in them. God, that they would take your, your scriptures, they would take the truth of your word, and it would wash over their heart, it would cleanse their heart, it would remind them of the grace that they've received in Christ and give them the motivation to show and tell of that grace and mercy throughout their weeks. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you so much for the resurrection that that gives us power and allows us to participate as raised believers in Christ in your kingdom work. And God, I pray for everyone in here that we would go uh, throughout this week with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.